Welcome to Reinventing Professionals, a podcast hosted by industry analyst Ari Kaplan, which shares ideas, guidance, and perspectives from market leaders shaping the next generation of legal and professional services. This is Ari Kaplan, and I'm speaking today with Laura Keeley, the founder and CEO of Immediation, a dispute resolution platform. Hi, Laura. How are you? Very well. Thanks, Ari. How are you? Great to be here in New York with you. I am doing well. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Tell us about your background and the genesis of Immediation. I started my practice as a mergers and acquisitions lawyer. So I worked in Melbourne and also in London at Slaughter in May and did basically a lot of big deals, public and private M&A work and corporate finance work for the better part of 15 years before I became a barrister as my second career. In Australia, we have a split system like the United Kingdom where you choose either the path of solicitor or barrister or one than the other. And so I, it's quite common in Australia for subject matter experts to become barristers late in their career. And that's what I did as a corporate lawyer. And then after doing that for a few years, realized there were a lot of problems with the litigation system that I had then entered and started a mediation really in response to what I saw as an absence of technology creating issues for accessibility and sustainability. And so I'm now a tech entrepreneur with a team, a global team, and it's been an interesting accidental journey of entrepreneurship. What problems were you seeking to address in the system? The biggest issue that I saw at the time that I started the company, which was in 2017, so pre-pandemic, was that the, the legal system in Australia, and I think it's replicated in most of the English-speaking or Commonwealth countries at least, is that the legal system proper is really only available to corporations, wealthy individuals, or people who are effectively about to be incarcerated or subject to a criminal sentence. The middle bracket find it extremely difficult to navigate the system in a way that's cost-effective. The fees are so high and the process is so long and arduous that it almost becomes a net loss-loss scenario. And, and this was a pattern that was repeated for almost every client that I had. So many clients said to me, I thought there was justice. I thought there was a system. I would go to court and then I would have a resolution. But no matter whether they won or lost, they said they lost. And so that's the problem that I was really seeking to solve. There's a billion people on earth who don't have meaningful access to justice. And then there's probably many more than that who can't afford what there is. And so that was the original problem was a problem of access. Roll forward to 2020, I built a platform to deal with dispute resolution online because I believed that technology was the answer to the gap. And then the pandemic arrived. And so we have, I guess, expanded our mission to be a dispute resolution, dispute resolution ecosystem that can address both the access to justice problem, but also help the courts and arbitration and existing providers do a better job, more effective and faster job of doing the work that they do outside and inside the court system. So both trying to find new ways to solve problems, but also helping the old ways be more effective and faster. How has the use of video collaboration tools and those for dispute resolution changed over the past few years? It's been a really fascinating journey because pre-pandemic, I was a little evangelistic about the fact that the system needed to change and that it could be done online and it should be done online because of the accessibility and sustainability benefits 
for the community. The thing that changed, I guess, for us in relation to that question was in 2020, we stopped having a debate about whether it could be done online, which was the previous debate the legal industry was having. And then it became mandatory to do it online, which was for us, obviously fantastic because all of a sudden that the underpinning of resistance was removed. So for us, the change has been dramatic. The adoption of the video-based collaboration and related technologies has been almost 100%. It's shifted the industry forward probably about a decade of what I could see was going to come, but it's really compressed a decade into one year or two years maybe. You served as a barrister in Australia. What are the advantages and disadvantages that you see in remote advocacy? There are so many advantages to being in your own office or chambers as an advocate. The old way of literally carrying a suitcase full of documents to court, sitting in an old courtroom, it's uncomfortable. We wear robes in Australia. We did wear wigs when I started. You feel physically uncomfortable. You're crammed in there waiting for your turn. Or if it's a large trial, you're there all day not in your own environment and you have to bring everything with you. So that, that the physical impediment has been removed. Just being able to have the leisure of sitting in your own office and having all of the often thousands and thousands of documents at your disposal on your desktop, or even if you're still a little old school in hard copies has just been amazing. The expansion of people's practices has also been extraordinary. When I was still practicing, which I only finished in February, I was with working with a QC who was in the Supreme Court of one state of Australia in the morning and then in the afternoon he was in the Supreme Court of another state with me and that was just physically not possible prior to the pandemic. And so it's enabled advocates to expand their practices nationally and internationally in ways that were just not previously possible. I guess some of the disadvantages would be at times feeling like you that there's something lacking in being an advocate and staring at a green dot on a computer rather than feeling that your presence fills the room, feeling like you're interviewing witnesses and using your bodily control over them, or maybe feeling like you want to persuade a jury or a judge. And again, that engagement and interaction of being face-to-face is very powerful and everybody understands that. But the pandemic and, and the results of the pandemic have shown that it can be overcome with really good tools that support lawyers in their work, for example, like a mediation and others, you can have an effective practice or a hybrid practice using remote and, in our view, our humble opinion, the the benefits to the community and to the individual lawyers outweigh those disadvantages. Who within this process is driving the adoption of collaboration platforms? It's really interesting because we've got a, a different set of potential adopters, depending on who you speak to and which industry segment. Because we're in dispute resolution, that really covers both courts and non-court related proceedings. I would say that at the moment, everybody sort of had to drive towards a solution that was going to work remotely. Both the law firms, the clients and the courts and arbitrators were all driving towards the same place, which is effectively, we need to use video. Now, because of the scenario that we were in, everybody grabbed whatever you know generic video meeting platform was available, the one that they used to ring their grandmother on or whatever, and used that. The drive now towards purpose-built platforms like ours that protect privilege and legal ethics and enable this to be a, a permanent transition 
I think that's actually being driven by the centre out, so being driven by the courts, being driven by the arbitration centres, and to a certain extent by the law firms, but I think that they're following, they are following and will follow what the courts and arbitration centres recommend as best practice in this new normal. How do you help users overcome security concerns associated with remote litigation? Well, in our particular instance, I mean, one of our massive differentiating qualities is the fact that we are more secure and we're more secure, not just because of ISO 27001 and all of those certifications. It's more about the design. So making sure that only people who are a named party to our proceedings come into the platform through their own secure link, making sure that each person is allocated to a client lawyer team and that you can communicate safely and securely within that team and between teams. So how we respond to it is to say, we understand the risk and we've solved for your risk. We've solved for your risk of breaching privilege. We've solved for your risk of having an award unwound or an order overturned because there was a breach of practical or a technical breach or a a breach of ethics because of the use of technology, which wave of litigation is coming. So that's how we respond. We respond by saying we understand and we've engineered our process around this. I mean, there are some concerns that people have about, you know, what if someone's in the room and being that the witnesses are being coached and there are solutions such as get someone to pick up their phone or do a 360 of the room or ask them to confirm that nobody's there. And so there are, you know, practical ways of ensuring security. What I would not advocate for is using, frankly, a video conference platform that was not designed for secure communication certainly not designed for legal proceedings because that I can't advocate and that I can't support because I don't believe that it is safe and that it will be protective of the client and all the lawyers. What inspired you to transition from practicing law to becoming a legal tech founder? It was one of those weird moments in your life where I could see that I could see that things needed to change and I could see what would happen. I didn't know that there was going to be a pandemic that would be a massive accelerant, but I knew that the process had to digitize. I was wearing wigs to court, doing my job as though I was in the 18th century, and it was costing my clients too much money. And I, you know, I thought there's a massive opportunity here. There's, there's got to be a better way of doing this. There just has to be. And nobody wins out of this system. The lawyers win, and we love lawyers, but we want them to win doing strategy and high-end work, not just doing churn of going to court day after day doing procedural things that could be done more effectively. So it was that pull and it was also a bit of a push. I found that I actually couldn't live with it. I couldn't live with making money from a system that I knew was inherently flawed and felt that I, if I didn't do something about it, who was going to do something about it? And on the flip side, if I didn't do it and someone else did, that I would probably be very unhappy with myself for not taking the risk. And so it was all of that and a bit of I guess a bit of age and stage, having had a lot of different experiences as a practitioner and coming to it with both practical understanding of business as well as a litigation deep skill set meant that I was, I think, probably just at the right point to take advantage of what I could see. Do you have advice for others who are interested in following a similar path? I think you need to be really sure. I wasn't completely sure. I just sort of thought, well, I'm going to feel the fear and do it anyway. And then as soon as I had capital, which was from the get-go, I had capital invested. And so because I had other people's capital invested, it was a one-way street. And I knew that I had to keep going until it succeeded or failed, or I 
collapsed in a heap trying. The thing to know is that it is that hard and you pretty much every day of 2020, I wanted to walk away because it was just so difficult to make this platform scalable and robust and funded and you know, resilient and all the things and build a team. And so I guess my advice is to be as sure as you can that you want to walk down a one-way street because it really is, particularly in my view, once you've taken that money. And so you just need to do as much questioning of your own self and your practice and your resilience as possible. There is a blend. I mean, people have said to me a blend of naivety and as well as experience is useful because it's too early to know how hard it's going to be. And if you know how hard it's going to be, you're not going to do it. So to a certain extent, you just have to dive in, but do as much diligence as you can around yourself and what you really want, because it's trying to grow a company from literally from nothing is not an easy thing to achieve. And to commercialize technology, particularly in this new market now is also a very complex and expensive endeavor. Where do you see the use of video collaboration and dispute resolution platforms headed? At the moment, people are still saying there is a role for in-person. And I agree, there is always a role for in-person hearings. In particular, I believe that if you're going to incarcerate someone, you should be in the room with them. That's just a philosophical perspective. It's actually not based on the fact that you couldn't do it using video, but I, I just firmly believe that that that's an important part of our society. If we're going to use the state to imprison someone, that we should be there with them. Other than that, I believe it will become the default and the in-person will become the exception. And I think it probably already is. There's another level where we could be in a virtual realm, something akin to the metaverse or virtual reality, where we can even use more sophisticated tools than video to give people an experience like being in the physical world and give them more data and information. There's no doubt that tools such as biometric scanning and things will become available to help navigate people's emotional state and their veracity as witnesses and so on. That's probably where it's headed next. And after that, who knows? Maybe we live in a world where there are fewer disputes because we have more data to help inform people how to avoid getting into that problem in the first place. This is Ari Kaplan speaking with Laura Keeley, the founder and CEO of Immediation, a dispute resolution platform. Laura, thanks so very much. Thank you, Ari, for having me. So good to be here in the city with you. Thank you for listening to the Reinventing Professionals podcast. Visit ReinventingProfessionals.com or AriKaplanAdvisors.com to learn more.